0: So in New Mexico we're very fortunate to have an opportunity to draw every year and what that means is every year it's it's a random draw. So you gotta rub your your lucky rabbit's foot for some luck because you have a chance every single year of of getting drawn for a license. Mm-hmm.
1: Hello, New Mexico. James Pittman here with another edition of the New Mexico Wildlife Podcast. Today's episode is a little bit special in that the 2021 Big Game Draw in New Mexico just opened up last week. So we are going to take this time to talk all about the draw. And to help us with that today is the Assistant Chief of Education, Craig Sanchez. Craig, thanks for being here.
0: Good morning, James. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, we're really glad to have you here. Uh, when I was trying to figure out who I should talk to to cover the draw overall, your name kept popping up, and I think there's a good reason for that. I think it's your experience with the department and, and hunting in the state. So so before we dive completely into the big game draw, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Did did you grow up uh, in New Mexico and, and hunting in New Mexico?
0: Yeah, so... I kind of grew up hunting in New Mexico. I'm a lifelong resident of New Mexico, and, and hunting and fishing was always my passion as a, as a youngster. Um, I'd hunt waterfowl, big game, small game, you name it, whatever I could do after school or on the weekends. Um, that led to, uh, to the career that I have. I, I went to college in New Mexico State University. And I got a bachelor's degree in wildlife science management. And during that time, I was lucky enough to get a co-op position with the New Mexico Game and Fish, which was in, oh, I think, 1995. Um, I did a fisheries co-op for about eight months, and that was uh, really enjoyable, and it, it really opened my eyes to what the agency did and, and how it uh, was something that I wanted to do. So, after graduating from college, I applied for game warden position, and was lucky enough to get hired. With that being said, 24 years later, which is how long I've worked for the agency, I've I've, uh, I've had different roles within the agency. I was uh, district officer was was my first assignment. I was uh, also a field training officer at one point. I was a sergeant in the field ops division, and currently I am the assistant chief of education. Working uh, in the education side of the shop, which I find very rewarding, because everything we do is positive. We do lots of good things with kids, adults, um, and people of all genders. Uh, it's, it's really a, been a great experience.
1: Oh, that's awesome! So a lot of a lot of different experience and a and a pretty long career then.
0: Yeah, twenty four years went by pretty quick, though. Believe it or not.
1: I bet, I bet, especially when uh, when you're having fun. So tell us about the programs that you oversee now. So you said that you're in the uh, education side of things.
0: Yeah, uh, in in my side of the shop, um, I'll just list them for you, James. Um, We've got hunter education. Um, There's three staff members in hunter education. We've got our conservation education section, which consists of a conservation education manager and aquatic education coordinator. And we also have a volunteer coordinator um, in that, in that uh, piece of the shop as well. And just let me just add that the volunteer piece is real important for education because a lot of things we do um, involve volunteers. Um, so that's why we have the volunteer coordinator and in the education side of the shop. Uh, we've also got a R3 uh, manager, also known as recruitment, retention, and reactivation. We've got an archery coordinator, and we've got a shooting sports coordinator. And finally, we've got our OHV um, folks in our shop as well. There's three staff in that um, piece of the shop, and they deal with all the OHV stuff off-highway vehicles.
1: Wow, wow. So a lot of a lot of different staff and a lot of different things going on then.
0: A lot of different things, uh, and and it's very – very positive with all those different groups of folks because they're all doing good things, teaching hunting and fishing skills, teaching OHV safety. It, it, it's a really dynamic uh, part of the, of the agency that uh, has been uh, a lot of fun to, to be part of.
1: Well, you had mentioned um, hunter education, so let's start our, our draw application discussion with that. So, so what are the hunter education requirements to hunt in New Mexico or to put in for the draw in New Mexico?
0: Sure. So hunter education is required uh, to hunt in New Mexico with a firearm um, for anybody that's under the age of 18. So what that means is if you're under 18 and you want to go hunting, uh, you really need to get into a hunter education course. We have several options available to take your hunter education course. Um, We've actually got An online course that's fully online, it does not require any in-person attendance, and it can be taken at the individual's own pace from home uh, remotely. Uh, The age minimum to take that online course is 10. So you have to be at least 10 years old to take that course. Um, There are some options, three different options on our website, as far as which course you'd like to take from the different vendors. And furthermore, we we historically have in-person classes. As we're all dealing with the the pandemic and COVID-19 right now, we haven't been able to do any in-person classes. So our hunter education staff have really been working hard and thinking outside the box to be able to deliver the curriculum to those kids that are under age 10 that don't meet the the minimum requirements to take the online course. So what they've done is they have developed a virtual Hunter Ed class, and it's all done online. Um, it's similar to what the kids do with their, their schoolwork through the Zoom meeting platform. And what we found is they have been very successful. Uh, we don't have the capacity to do high numbers of these classes, so we're trying to do as many as we can Um within the resources we have. So we don't have as many in-person courses right now, but we're doing our best to, to meet the demand for those younger kids through that avenue.
1: Now, do you have to have that hunter education completed before you put in for the draw or just before you go hunting?
0: So that's a great question, James. And yes, the answer is yes. You need to have your hunter education certification prior to applying for the draw Otherwise, the draw will not accept your application.
1: Okay, so so if you're under 18 and you want to put in for the 2021 draw, you you need to sign up for a class pretty quick then.
0: Yeah, pretty quick, pretty quick. And 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 you know, I'll just throw it out there the the deadline for this year's applications for the the second draw is March 17th. And when I mean second draw, I'm referring to uh, licenses for Barbary sheep, bighorn sheep deer, elk, ibex, javelina, pronghorn, and oryx. So that March 17th date is coming quick. So if you need your hunter education course, please uh, reach out to our hunter education staff or get online on our webpage. There's a whole lot of information on on where you can uh, find your, your path to take those courses.
1: Okay. Okay, well, that's a lot of good information there. So if folks need to look more in the hunter education, like you said, they can look on our website, um, under that, the education tab, but so you had listed off a bunch of species there for that, for that second draw. So I think that's a good segue into how you pick species and units and things that you put in for. So let's, let's start off with a, with new hunters. So if you're, if you're new to hunting, what do you think are some, some good species to start with if you're pretty new to hunting and you want to put in for the draw?
0: So, again, a good question. And anybody that's new to hunting is going to have a lot of questions. Um, what's What we're very fortunate to have in the hunting community is there's a lot of sportsmen, hunters, anglers that are very generous with their time, and are more than happy to to help give advice or mentor or, or even take a, a new hunter out in the field and, and give them some hands-on experience. Um, that may not always be the option for a specific individual, but some animals that I would recommend as a, as a starter hunt to apply for um, would be maybe a deer hunt or a pronghorn antelope hunt, something that you can get out and be able to see some animals and, and might even be successful in harvesting one um there's a lot of other hunting opportunities outside of the draw for for new hunters um we have a lot of small game opportunities that are basically uh you can hunt with the game hunt license that you buy to include squirrels and um you know birds you know dove quail um those are some other opportunities but as far as the draw goes i would recommend you know let's start off with a a deer of some sort or, or a pronghorn. Uh, not to say that they wouldn't be able to do an elk hunt, but that's a good starting point, um, depending on the support base that, that a new hunter has available to them.
1: Okay. Okay, sounds good. So so if we're a new hunter, we're kind of starting off with deer or pronghorn, some of those smaller species. It'd be kind of hard to pack out an elk by yourself on your first hunt. Yeah. It could be overwhelming, for sure. So let, let's talk about more challenging species then. So if you're a hunter and you've been hunting for a while and let's say you've, you've only been hunting or only been putting in for, for deer or pronghorn or things like that. So, so what do you consider, um, some of the most challenging hunts, um, not only for species, but, but things like sporting arm type and and things like that.
0: That question, that question can go a couple of ways. I'll, I'll kind of give you an answer on what's on the tip of my tongue here. Some of the species that, that are going to be the most challengeable with uh, the weapon type of choice is going to be probably an, an ibex, and, and particularly archery hunting ibex. Probably one of the most challenging hunts in North America, and people can attest to that that have tried it. Um, as you know, James, drawing drawing the tag is, is the hardest part of that because we have limited numbers of tags available based on the population that the state has. But if somebody's lucky enough to draw an Ibex tag, even with a rifle, um, these Ibex, they live in some of the steepest, roughest, nastiest country that, that you've ever seen. And what's really neat about the, the Persian Ibex is you really have to see them to understand how agile and mobile these animals are on the cliff. I had a, a friend of mine draw a tag one year and he asked me where he should go hunt ibex and I had given him some recommendations. And I told him, you really got to glass the cliff, the face of the cliff, because the goats will be on the face of the cliff. And he called me while he was down there hunting and he's telling me, well, I can't find anything. And I asked him where he was looking and he says, well, I'm looking at, you know, below the cliffs, on the slopes. And while we were on the phone, I told him to put his binoculars on the face of a cliff. And lo and behold, he saw ibex that were <laughs> somehow glued to the side of the cliff. And he ended up harvesting a, a nice billy on that hunt, um, but he just couldn't believe that they could do that. So it's uh, it's really an exciting animal to to not only hunt, but just to go go watch, scale those cliffs.
1: That's awesome. So kind of moving in along those lines, talking about um specific species talking about Ibex and, and, and things like that. Um now for some like species like Ibex, there's pretty much just one area you can hunt them, right?
0: Uh, yes and no. So our limited draw area, and that's in unit twenty five in the Florida Mountains, that's where the primary Ibex herd is, and for the most part those Ibex stay on that mountain um, occasionally one will, will leave the mountain in in rare circumstances and could show up in a in a nearby mountain range that's outside of that that unit 25 draw hunt area um the department does sell an off-range ibex tag which is valid off of the primary area where the ibex live so technically you could hunt ibex on an over the counter tag but it's in an area that the probability of finding one is really low unless you've got some inside information from a local that has seen them.
1: Okay. Okay. So that's more of a uh, an opportunity unit then. Is you wanna you wanna get out and go hunting and success and the chances of seeing something are pretty low, but you can get that tag and and go hunting then.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and part of the department's management strategy there is to keep that herd confined to the Florida mountains. Um so it, it does serve as a management tool as well as an opportunity for somebody to get out and beat the brush and see what they could find.
1: Okay. Okay, sounds good. Well well let's kinda take that strategy and apply it to uh the other species um that we have in New Mexico that are in this in this um big game draw and talk about what you consider to be, you know, a trophy unit that would be like you said, probably really hard to draw, limited number of tags, versus an opportunity unit of, hey, there might not be as many animals here, or the success rates might be lower, but I have a better chance of of drawing and and going hunting. Um, so we talked about ibex. Um, how about we how about we start off with uh, with elk?
0: Yeah, let's do that. So so elk, uh, New Mexico is blessed to have. A lot of elk across our state in different units and from an elk hunter if you really want to maximize your your chances to get a tag there's a few tips i might give you and and as james mentioned there there are the harder to draw units because they typically grow the bigger antlered bulls which makes it uh, more of a demand for the the hunters want to hunt these units and, and that's great. And, you know, I encourage people to apply for those units and, and I'll just name off a few that, that are high demand that historically uh trophy size elk come out of and, and the Gila units, the 16, you know, those are probably the top units 16 uh, A B C and D and also E for that matter. Um, those are highly desired units. Um, elk numbers are strong and they grow big antlers. Um, now, in contrast to that, we'll shift gears and go north, so like a unit 51, 52, which has good elk numbers. You're not going to have the, the demand for tags in the draw. Draws will be better in a unit like that. Um, but typically, the bulls don't grow as big of antlers as they do in southern New Mexico. And and I kind of I kind of use I-40 as, as my personal line in the sand that I draw. If, if I want to try to find a great big bull, I want to apply for units south of i 40 if I want to have an opportunistic opportunity to just go see elk and hunt elk and maybe kill a nice bull, then I would hunt north, north of I-40. Um, and, and with that being said, I, I really strongly encourage everybody to put three choices down on their application because when they do the draw, they're going to pull an application out, and they're going to go through the first choice. If that hunt has been killed, they're going to look at your second choice if that hunt has been filled, they're going to look at your third choice. So they're going to go through all three choices before moving on to the next application. So a strategy that that some people like to use is they'll put a unit like 16D as their first choice because it's a hard-to-draw unit, um, but they still want to have a chance of drawing it. And then as a second choice, they might kind of scale back uh, to a unit that doesn't have quite the demand. So maybe like a... uh, uh, a unit 10 maybe uh, as a second choice, or or even a you know a third choice, you can put a a unit 51 52 that that doesn't have as much demand. So what you're doing is you're you're setting yourself up to have a better chance of getting a tag because you're you're not putting all your applications into hard to draw units. Now with that being said, there's there's people that'll take the converse approach and we'll put all their choices as really hard-to-draw units. But those people typically are okay not drawing a tag because they just want to go on a really quality hunt where they have a chance at a, at a big elk. So, you know, it's it's kind of what you're looking for, James, as far as how, how you would apply for these elk units.
1: Okay. Okay. And a lot of, lot of good information there. So you're saying uh, the folks that say... I just want to hunt this unit or nothing and they go put in one choice and leave those other two spots blank or really really shooting themselves in the foot.
0: That's exactly right. You're really limiting your chances of drawing an, an elk tag and and I can tell you just in talking with people over the years there there are people that do just that. They'll just apply for the one choice because that's where they want to go. And and I can appreciate that because you know I've got my my spots that I've been hunting forever and I just like to go there um however if you really want to get out there and hunt you really you know i really encourage people to to put three choices in on their on their application to maximize their chances of of getting a tag and you know go, sometimes going to look at new countries fun you get to find new things and see new country and um might be just a, a new adventure for you
1: well and we're kind of uh going down a rabbit trail here a little bit but i kind I, I like this this conversation we're having on the three choices so when you're deciding on your hunts that you're putting in for you're you're picking three hunts but there's beyond that there are some choices right that's
0: correct and the fourth choice um that one
1: it's up to each
0: individual if they want to check that box because what that fourth choice does is it basically says that you will accept any leftover elk license and it gives you the four quadrants of the state to pick from so in other words, if you just want an elk tag and you want to go hunting and you don't care where where you go, um, in that scenario, I, I highly encourage you to select a quadrant on that fourth choice. Because what it'll do is the system will allocate a tag that wasn't drawn, basically a leftover tag, to you. We don't know where what unit it'll be for. We don't know what weapon type. It could be anything. So that's that's the risk. Is you just you're getting an unknown elk tag, um, but you get an elk tag. So, you know, depending on, on what you want to do, that's definitely something to consider.
1: Okay. Okay. And then some, some, uh, species you get on there and you look and, and they even have a, a fifth choice where it's talking about population management hunt. So what, what, what is that talking about?
0: That's, that's correct, James. In fact, I, I believe every big game species gives you that option. Okay. Um, and that population reduction, if, if you check that, what that does is if, if there's a situation somewhere in the state of New Mexico where the department has to harvest some animals for whether it's depredation or whatever the reason may be, um, there is a list generated based on the sequence number of your application. If you select that box and the department will start calling people off that list to see if they're available to hunt the, the species that they're trying to harvest at that time. So again, if you just if you just want to get a, a tag of some sort, you know, you might consider checking that box. If you're not interested in a population reduction hunt, um, yeah, definitely don't don't check the box.
1: Okay, okay. So just another opportunity there. All right. So we've talked a little bit. Um, we have talked about ibex. We've talked about elk. Let's let's move into some of these other some of these other species. What about what about deer? What what do you consider some of the best units or areas for deer?
0: So in New Mexico, we're, we're fortunate to have three different subspecies of deer in, in New Mexico. We, we've, got, we've got mule deer. That's our most prominent. Uh, we've got the, the cows. Some people call them coos, white-tailed deer in the southwest part of the state. And we've got some eastern or Texas white-tails on the eastern side of the state. So we're kind of in a unique place where we've got those three critters in our state. Um, let's talk mule deer, because that's the most prominent. So typically, if you're looking for trophy mule deer, historically, you know, northwest New Mexico, that Farmington country, typically, you know, grows, grows big deer. And they've got high numbers of deer, particularly in the, on the the later rifle hunts. So Unit uh, 2B. Is uh, is very popular. It's it's hard to draw, but if you draw the hunt, you're going to see a lot of deer, and it's probably one of our our best deer units. Um, the department also uh, just south of 2B we have unit 2C, which uh, we manage for for trophy quality. And the department issues uh, low low tags for that unit. Um, the deer in 2C are resident. They're not a migratory herd like the, the 2B herd is, is more of a migratory herd out of Colorado and and to see you know historically produces some some really nice bucks um it's hard to draw really hard to draw because there's not many tags um but it's it's that unit that just produces good deer um you know across the state you know we've got we've got a lot of deer opportunities we've kind of got mule deer scattered throughout the state and um the northeast part of the state granted a lot of its private land, um, healthy deer populations, some nice bucks that get harvested up there each year. Um, the Gila, the Gila down south, grows you know doesn't have tons of deer, uh, doesn't really know not known for monstrous deer, but there's some good deer hunting opportunities down there as well. Um, and if we look at the the cows white-tailed deer. Um, typically, that unit 23, the Burro Mountains, unit 27, those units down in the southwest corner of New Mexico house most of the the, the cows, white-tailed deer. And if you've ever hunted, those little guys, um, they're kind of addicting. And James, you could probably attest to that.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. It's different than hunting white-tail back east, but it's similar. Speaking of that, because you you mentioned that we have eastern whitetail as well. So we've got the, the coos deer in the in the southwest and and then there's eastern whitetail in other parts of the state, right?
0: And that's correct. There's a there's a population up in uh in the Riodoso area, Unit thirty it that's been there for a long time. Um that northeast part of the state um has got a pretty healthy whitetail population um as well. Uh, again there's a lot of private land in that part of the state but there is some public land in there as well, um, but yeah, the the easterns they seem to be doing okay, and um, seems like we get more reports of them here lately than, than we have in the past. So, so they may be expanding a little bit.
1: Okay, so if you want to put in for deer, say I wanted to put in for mule deer and uh, coos deer, could I do that, or or I, or I have to pick one?
0: No. So so how it works is you can only put in for one one application per species per year. So on a deer application, um, there's only a few hunts that we have that are white tail specific uh, bag limits. And that's going to be for the, the cow's deer in the Southwest part of the state. Okay. But most of our deer hunts are, are just an antlered buck that's got at least a, a four corn on it. And in those hunt codes that are just a, antlered mule deer with the forkhorn, you can shoot a whitetail or a mule deer. It doesn't differentiate, but you can only apply for one deer license.
1: Okay. So, so you can go after eastern whitetails or, or mule deer, but you can't, you can't do both in one year.
0: That's correct.
1: All right. Well, well, speaking of, because we worked our way over to the, uh, the eastern part of the state. And so speaking of of the eastern part of the state, that kind of makes me think of of pronghorn. so let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the some of the pronghorn units and opportunities that we have in the state.
0: Yeah, absolutely James and in New Mexico, I'll just say we, we grow some really good pronghorn in our state. We may not have the numbers that Wyoming has, but but we definitely grow bigger ones. Um, I'll toot our horn, horn a little bit the, the current world record was killed in New Mexico a few years back. And it, it's, it's going to be hard to beat. It's, it's a big buck. Um, and it was recognized by Boone and Crockett as, as a world record. And interesting enough, a buck was killed last year that challenged the world record, but didn't quite make the cut. So what that tells me is we're still growing big, big pronghorn in New Mexico. Um, if you look through the record books, you'll see you'll see pronghorn entered from many different counties of New Mexico. Um, historically, some of the the more consistent units that are producing the big pronghorn are are just what Jim uh, James said, the South. So everything from Unit 16, Unit 15, Unit 17, um, Unit 38 on the east side, um, they're growing, killing some really good bucks over there. Um, and as you work your way up into the northeast part of the state, they've they've got higher pronghorn numbers up there. Um, however, the the horn size tends to not be quite as big as in some of these southern units. Things huh. and, and I'll use my I forty I'll use my I I forty line in the sand again on that one. Okay. Um. Uh. Just seems like south of I forty, um, you tend to get a little bigger bigger horns on those pronghorn. Um, not to say you can't kill a giant buck up in the Northeast, but you know you gotta gotta work hard and look over a lot of them. So pronghorn opportunities are, are are great in our state, and um, we just we just grow great bucks.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome to know where you can see those those trophy bucks coming out of. We hit on ibex, but let's let's move into a couple other exotics. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Barbary and uh, and oryx.
0: Sure. So we'll start with the Barb's. So some some of you may know them as Al Dad, um, Barbary sheep, Oudad. It's the same animal. Um, very very impressive looking animal. You know they've got those long shafts that hang down on the, on the front of their bodies. And in in the, in the last ten years, you know it seems like our Barbary population has just been really thriving. And you know as a result, you can see the, the many different hunts we have in our and hunting information booklet, and and it's gotten to be very popular um, amongst our hunters, um, and rightly so. It's a neat animal to hunt. Um, typically, those hunts occur down in, in the southeast part of New Mexico, from Carlsbad all the way over to uh, the Hondo Valley. It's, it's kind of the main primary area where we have the most Barbaries, and you know, it's just a it's, the draw odds aren't as bad as applying for some of these other animals, and, and it's a great animal to go hunt and get you out, get you out in the woods. And uh, they typically occur later in the year, so it's a, it's a good opportunity to, to go hunt after you're done with your deer and elk hunting. Um, oryx oryx is, a, is an animal that I would encourage everybody to apply for. It's, it's not only a, a beautiful animal, it's not only a, a great hunt, um, but the meat is fantastic on the Oryx. And right now, and I can tell you, I was actually on a hunt with a friend of mine this past fall on range, and I can tell you that the the once-in-a-lifetime hunts right now are about as good as they, they've been. Um, we saw lots of Oryx, lots of great, big, mature animals, um, and it's just something that, you know, everybody needs to experience. And, and how it works is we've got on the Oryx, We've got the once-in-a-lifetime hunts, and that's for folks that haven't ever drawn that particular hunt on the missile range. And then we've also got off-range hunts, which is uh, not only for opportunity for hunters, but it also helps the department to control uh, expanding Oryx populations. And the, the off-range hunts can be a little more challenging because you're going to really have to hunt to find the, the Oryx off the, the primary range, which is on White Town's missile range. Um, a lot of people are successful. They put in the time, and those hunts are month-long seasons, so there's there's a lot of time to to go out and look and hunt and try to find an oryx off range. Um, but the uh, definitely the once-in-a-lifetime hunts on range are are fantastic, and I, I encourage everybody that's ever wanted to do that to apply for that.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, s- well, sounds good. Moving down our our list of species here, now I don't know that I would ever have a chance in the world of drawing this, but let's talk a little bit about about bighorn sheep because there are lucky people every year that draw this on.
0: There are, there are. And, and I can tell you New Mexico has done a fantastic job restoring our, our bighorn sheep populations. Um, the fact that we're even hunting deserts, for the last several years is a is a testament to the, the management that the agency has done to, to bring that species back uh, with that being said um, let's dive into uh into the desert first um we've got we've got numerous populations and we're actually um, offering some hunting opportunity in, in most of these areas and i'll just kind of rattle them off um, we've got desert sheep in the in the Pelusio mountains um we've got desert sheep in the in the hatchet mountains We've got desert sheep in the Caballo Mountains. Um, We've got desert sheep on White Sands Missile Range in the San Andreas Mountains there. Um, We've also got a population just outside of Alamogordo, but those ones are are nearly establishing themselves, so we're not hunting that population as of yet. Okay. Um, The Ladrone Mountains um, right outside of Socorro has another huntable population. The nice thing about the deserts is Yes, they're hard to draw because there's there's not many tags, but I can tell you that people are drawing them, and if you don't apply and get your name in the hat, uh, you're definitely not going to draw a tag. <laughs> um, every year, I know I know a handful of people personally that are lucky enough to draw a sheep tag, so I, I really encourage you if that's on your bucket list to to apply for it. Um, now, shifting gears to the, the Rocky Mountain Bighorn. Again, we got some great opportunities to hunt those. We've got, we've got sheep on the Latir Wilderness, on Wheeler Peak, the Pecos Wilderness, the Dry Cimarron, and the Rio Grande Gorge. Um, and lastly, the uh, Turkey Creek down by Glenwood. And all of those hunts are just fantastic and make uh, amazing memories if you're lucky enough to draw a tag. And I can tell you, James, I don't think there's a bad sheep hunt. If, if you looked at that list, and you picked any one of those and you got drawn, you're in for a good time.
1: All right. Alright. Well that's good to know. It's one of those things you always have your fingers crossed and, and hope for when you when you're checking your uh checking your draw results.
0: That's right. I crossed my toes as well.
1: It hasn't worked <laughs> yet,
0: but one day it might.
1: <laughs> well, I've got one more species on this list and I I know there's some people that don't think it's it's uh, much of a of a trophy species, but but man, it's a lot of fun to, uh, to hunt javelina. So let's talk just a little bit about, about javelina.
0: So javelina in New Mexico typically occur in the Southwest, West portion of the state. The one thing that's real interesting about, about the, the javelina, also known as, known as a peccary by some is when we've got mild winters in New Mexico, those, those, animals tend to expand their range. And, and an example of that is when we don't have much snow for a winter, as, and as you know, we've, we've had some pretty dry winters in the last 10 years, James. Um, those javelinas tend to show up all the way up to I-40. That's the far north they show up. Um, they're susceptible to the cold, so if it gets real cold, you know, it'll kill some of those off that have come this far north. But with that being said, as James said, they're a blast to hunt they're um you know it, it's it's another opportunity to get out in the field um later in the year when all the elk hunts are over the deer hunts are over and you know a lot of people like to even hunt quail when they're javelina hunting down in the southwest part of the state because those seasons typically uh, overlap each other um but the javelinas you know a lot of people will glass for them once they find them they'll put a stock on them um others will just kind of Eat the brush and, and try to find some that way, but they—they uh, they actually, and for me, I actually enjoy the meat. It's a lighter colored meat, and it's it's a little different tasting, but it it was uh, it was very good to me. Some people won't won't attempt it because uh, they don't uh, like the idea of uh, eating that little pig, but they offer great opportunities to get out and 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 to take a kid out to chase javelinas. You know what a what a great way to. To start a kid off with javelina.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, so yeah, don't don't overlook javelina when you're putting in uh, putting in for your application. Well, so we we've talked about the different species, the different areas. So, so now we know. Okay, we've we've got our hunter education done. We know what species we want to hunt. We know the areas we want to hunt. But if we're if we're new to the draw in New Mexico we're still gonna be a little confused when we're trying to put stuff in. So so let's talk a little bit about the draw itself. Um I guess first okay. could, could you tell us just a little bit about when you're downloading that rules and information book and you're and you're looking at that, so you go to the deer section, what does all that information mean? And when you're saying you pick three hunts, what what, what does that mean?
0: So let's let's use your example of, of deer so once you've downloaded that rules and information booklet if you scroll down to the deer section there's going to be there's going to be what we call hunt codes on the right side of, and, and let me back up just a step here so there'll be units listed for each of these hunts and then next to the unit there's going to be a hunt code and there's going to be uh, some dates of the hunt and also there's going to be you know, a weapon type, whether it's archery, muzzleloader, or any legal weapon, which would be a a rifle hunt. And what I encourage people to do when they're looking at that, obviously you want to determine what unit you want to apply for. That would be the the first step. And then once you've identified the the unit you want to apply for, you want to go to the deer section and you want to find that unit. And then you want to look at what hunts are available for that unit. You can look at the weapon types, you can look at the, the dates. And, and pick what's going to be in your best interest to apply for. So once you've got that figured out, um, if you don't have a customer account with the agency with Game and Fish, you'll need to go to our website, and that's at www.wildlife.state.nm.us, and you want to create a, an account. Uh, once an account has been created you can go in there and you can apply for the draw. Now, you've already got your deer unit selected, the weapon types and the the hunt codes you want to apply for. So what you do is you start the application process through your account. And what it's going to ask you is, you're going to have to purchase your game hunt license or add it to your shopping cart before you can apply for the hunt because that's a requirement, it's having that game hunt license. It'll give you the option of, having a combo license with a game hunt and fish license. And you can also purchase your habitat stamps there as well. Um, And once that's done and in your shopping cart, then the system will let you go and apply for your hunt. So when you click on the apply for hunts button, you'll go down to select your species, you'll select deer and deer will pop up. And on the right hand side, there'll be a list of, you know, are you applying for archery? Are you applying for muzzleloader? Are you applying for, for any legal weapon? You would select that, and then on the right-hand side of that, there would be a, a column that you can scroll through and find those hunts that you had already identified from the rules and information book, and it will have the same hunt code. It will have the same hunt dates, and then you just add that to your application. And, again, I recommend doing at least three choices, um and that fourth choice is, you know, any leftover tag is, is up to the individual if they wanted to do that. And also the uh, the population reduction option under that. So that's how you would do it. And then once you you can do that for every species you want to apply for, and then once you've got everything in there you want, and then you just hit the checkout button, just like shopping at Amazon.com, and it'll bring up your shopping cart, and show everything in there, and then you can follow through with, with the checkout using a credit card and, and get your hunts in the in the draw.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, well. So along those lines, we're using the rules and information book and picking our hunt codes, and then you know seeing that online when we log in. But I, I get a question a lot about well, I'm using you know last year's rib or or last year's rules and information booklet. It should transfer over, mm-hmm. but but that doesn't really work, does it?
0: No, it doesn't. So every year, um, there could be changes in one form or another. So every year, the department it publishes a new rules and information booklet. So it's really important that you have the current one to look at. And in this year's draw, you want to be looking at the at the 2021-2022 uh, rules and information booklet. If you're looking at the previous years, there could be some some hunt codes that have different dates so there could there's going to be different information so you want to make sure you're using the the current one.
1: Okay. Okay, so so we've um we've kind of gone through the process and and that's a good way to go, right? We picked our hunts based on the area the species we wanted to hunt, the area we wanted to hunt in and the dates that we wanted to hunt. And and we can do that and that's just fine, but let's say that we want to get a little more detailed in, um, in the application process. I've noticed that if you go to our website under the hunting section, under applications and draw information, there's a section called how New Mexico draw works. And, and in that it has all these drawing odd reports that you can download. It has, um, right now it has, the 2020 drawing odds report and the 2019 and the 2018. So right. can you tell us a little bit about what those reports are and how we can use those, um, to better our chances in the draw?
0: Absolutely. So if you're going to really want to get technical and really look at what are my chances of drawing this tag, uh, as James mentioned, you can pull up the, uh, the draw data to include harvest data, um, that's available on the department's webpage. And you can look by each hunt code and you can see how many residents applied. You can see how many non-residents applied. Uh, All that data exists and lives there. So you could go through and if you say for an example, a hunt code you were thinking of putting in for, you look at it and it had 5,000 first choice applicants. then you might say, whoa, this is a hard hunt to draw. You know, do I really want to get in that one? And you might say, yeah, I do, because I really want to hunt that unit. So, you know, go ahead and put your name in the hat for that unit. as one of your choices. But you might also look at that and say, yeah, let me look at a different hunt code or a different unit. Maybe there's less people applying for that. So you can really help your chances of drawing if you if you really look at those numbers. And you know what you're getting into when you apply. Um, for me, personally, I, I apply for all the hard to draw units. And if I don't draw, I'm okay with it because I know I recognize that the demand is is just really high. And and if I draw it, I'm going to be lucky. Um, But then I also know like, you know, I've got friends that they just want to go hunt. So they'll look at that data and they'll look at the, the units that they're considering and they'll find a hunt code that has the least amount of applicants from the previous year they're trying to maximize their, their chances of, of getting a tag and, and they're not really too concerned about what area. And so it just depends, you know, what your goals are and and what you're hoping to have on, on a particular hunt.
1: Okay. And you had mentioned in there, um, you could see how many residents applied versus non-residents. So let's talk That's a great. little bit about that. So um, if I am a resident of New Mexico, do I have a better chance of drawing than somebody in Arizona that applies in the New Mexico draw?
0: Sure. So, so in the draw, eighty-four um, percent of the of the licenses have to go to residents per state law, and what's left of that is that sixteen percent. So that breaks down a little further. So ten percent of that 16 that's left is reserved for those non-residents who book with an outfitter um, and they go into a separate draw pool for that 10% and the remainder of the 6% is reserved for non-residents who don't apply with an outfitter so that's kind of how the breakdown occurs uh, as far as the the resident versus non-resident allocation
1: okay okay so Um, residents have a much better chance than, than non-residents, but there still is a, there still is an opportunity for non-residents to um, apply and and come hunt in New Mexico as well.
0: Absolutely. And uh, again, what I would encourage, um, you know, when I look at those, those numbers as a, as a non-resident, I would definitely consider applying for a hunt that has more tags available because of the percentage that will be available to those folks in the non-resident pool. So for an example, you know, if there's, if there's five tags in a hunt, you know, if you do the math, you know, 84% of those are going to go to residents. There's not going to be much of anything for a non-resident. So I would encourage them to look for hunts that have a hundred tags, um, you know, and in that scenario, and if there's a hundred tags, say for an elk hunt in a unit, um, six of those will go to the six percent pool, ten of those will go to the ten percent non-resident pool. So there's there's more chance of getting a tag in in those situations if there's more tags available
1: on the hunt. Okay. Okay, and there is a benefit then to uh, to contract with a with an outfitter then too.
0: Well, you know, it, it puts you in a ten percent. Uh, draw pool versus a six percent, and you know everybody's got different uh, desires and different means on on how they can do their hunt. So you know, depending on on what a person decides to do, you know, those are the options for the non-residents.
1: Okay, okay. Well, let's say that um, regardless of where I live, I I put in um, last year and I didn't draw. Does that give me any kind of Preference in the draw this year, and the flip side of that is, I drew last year. Does that mean I'm not going to draw this year?
0: Great, great question, James. So in New Mexico, we're very fortunate to have an opportunity to draw every year, um, and what that means is every year it's it's a random draw. So you know you got to rub your your lucky rabbit's foot for some luck because you have a chance every single year of, of getting drawn for a license. Um, you know, we differ from some of the other states that have have bonus point systems. And and, and I can tell you um, from a personal perspective, um, bonus points, they, they just create a, a different dynamic. And, and what I mean by that, and I'm going to give you the example of, of me personally, um, I applied for several other states for different species and I've got bonus points accumulated in a lot of states. And in Arizona in particular, I actually have 26 bonus points. Wow. And what that means is I have, and that's for elk. So what that means is I've been applying for 24 years and have been unsuccessful in that state. Um, The two extra bonus points that would give me 26 is from a hundred egg loyalty and a loyalty point. So, that's just to put it into perspective. Um, I look at our state, New Mexico. I have a chance to draw every single year, yeah. and some of these states with bonus points. You know, if you're starting fresh, I mean, I've been in the game for 24 years for an elk tag in Arizona, and I still haven't gotten one. So, you know, not to say one's better than the other, but but that's that's the two systems that that exist out there. And and I personally appreciate the the ability to be able to have a chance to draw every year in our state. And and that's whether you drew a tag last year or you didn't, you still have a chance the following year.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, well, it, this question is kind of going back to the odds a little bit. So I guess it's taken us a little bit backwards, but I like how it ties in with um, talking about Arizona. So let's say that um, as a resident, I have a, a buddy in Arizona that wants to put in. So I say, "Hey, let's let's put in together." Or I have um, a friend here in New Mexico that I want to put in with. Does the system allow people to put in together? And if so, well, first off, how many? And then and then sec and then thirdly, I guess, does that decrease or increase my odds of of getting a tag?
0: That is a great question and that question comes up pretty often, James, and and I'll I'll just start off with your first part. So I'm going to kind of ramble through the species. So for deer, elk, pronghorn, javelina, there can be up to four applicants on one application. It's whether it's resident or a resident and a non-resident or all non-resident. Now for oryx, oh, let me add Barbary chic to that. I'm sorry, it's that four four applicants per application. Okay. And then we move on to uh, Oryx is, I believe we allow two applicants per application. Ibex, we allow two, two for Ibex, two for Oryx, and on Bighorn Sheep, we only allow one applicant per application. So now it doesn't matter if you're residents, non-residents, or mixing. Okay, so now moving on to the next part of your question. Um, yes, a non-resident can apply with a resident on the same application. However, what that does is, because there's a non-resident on the application, it puts everybody on that application into the non-resident pool. Okay. So if you're a resident and you apply with your buddy from Arizona, guess what? You were originally going to compete for 84% of the tags. Now you're competing for six. Oh, wow. So it hurts you as a resident to do that. There's there's no gain to the non-resident for applying
1: with the resident on the same application. Okay. Okay. So the, the, you can do it, but you might look into how that's going to impact your, your draw odds. Absolutely. All right. Well, sounds good. I mean, we've gone through all the different species that you can put in for, we've talked about um, the locations that, where you can go after trophy animals versus just, opportunities to get out and hunt we've talked about kind of how to read that rules and information booklet we've talked a little bit about how you actually apply online how you can use draw odd reports to, to boost your success I'm, I'm excited to go I'm excited to go put in for the draw do you, do you have any other advice for for folks uh, putting in
0: sure and I got to tell you James um, I don't know what it is but every year I even I, I've been Time for hunts since I was a kid and I still get excited every year, you know, <laughs> what am I going to put in for? And the funny thing is I always apply very similar to the, the hunts I applied for the year before, but, but it doesn't mean I don't go and, and analyze and research and, and try to decide what I'm going to apply for. It's, it's kind of like an annual tradition. It's just fun when it's application time again. Yeah. And, um, the one thing I would encourage everybody to do is try to get your applications in early this year um you know again with the pandemic it's it's put a lot of strain on our resources to be able to help people apply via phone and in person um we're we're always here to answer questions if anybody has a question on how do they create an account how do they get in uh where do i go hunt you name it um you know we got a lot of staff with the game and fish and we're always happy to help uh, answer questions for people so um you know, again, due to this pandemic, I would really encourage everybody to get their applications in as soon as possible so that they're in and, and there's no issues. And, you know, if you wait to the last minute, the last day, there's a chance that you're not going to be able to, you know, if you're trying to call in to, to apply through our call center, um, those those phones are going to be stacked busy and, and it's just not worth risking not getting in the draw. So, so do your due diligence and um, try to get those applications in sooner rather than later.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's, that's great advice. You know, a new thing that we've started this year, that's another little exciting addition to the draw. We have a little incentive program. So um, if you apply online, you know, so you go online by yourself or, or with a buddy and you put in for hunts online early. So before March 10th, then you qualify for um, this new incentive program. So it's drawings and discounts from uh, different partners like Sportsman's Warehouse, Henry Rifles, Federal Ammo, Onyx Maps, Vista Outdoor Group and Surf and Turf. So so there's a lot of groups that have partnered with us saying, "Hey, get your applications in early. Do it online and you'll qualify for for different drawings or discounts or different things that they're offering." So that's a exciting new addition this year. So again, you can go to our website upper left-hand corner, you click buy a license and you can fill out that application. Uh, again, the application period opened on January 13th. It closes on March 17th at 5 p.m. And if if you're in there at five and you're just starting your application or you're halfway through and five o'clock hits, it will kick you out. So, so be sure that you get that application done before the 5 p.m. deadline on March 17th. If you do have questions, you can reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or email us at ISPA, I S P A, at state.nm.us. Or you can call us at 888 248 6866. But know that those phone lines are on fire. So there are a lot of people calling in. And if you call in at the last minute, then you really don't qualify for any of the cool incentive drawings for getting your application in online and early. Well, Craig, thanks again for joining us today and helping us get ready for the 2021 draw. I feel like we, we learned a lot and good luck to, to you in the draw.
0: Thanks James. And I just wanted to wish happy hunting to everybody out there, no matter what you pursue, uh, being outdoors um, and hunting, take a friend, pick a neighbor teach him to hunt it's, it's all about our tradition
1: absolutely well thank you all for listening today good luck in the draw good luck with the incentive prizes apply early and we'll see you next time